Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 94 MBA podcast. Different day, a slight delay. We're recording on Saturday, November 3rd. You'll be listening to this on November 4th. Um, but once again, I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Sparos MBA. And back from the dead, earlier today, Corbin was, was down and out. But Corbin, this is your flu game tonight. How are you doing tonight? You're horrible, Eric. I'm doing good. Um, you know, throat messing up, a little drainage, but we're going to power through it. As you said, it's the flu game, so I got to come through in the clutch. Listen, everyone's got to know what you're dealing with. It makes it a more resilient performance, you know? You're right. Okay, so I've kind of had it for a couple of days now. I finally went to urgent care. I got to figure out this morning. Viral bronchitis. Oof. So, yeah, it's been it's been messing with me a bit. I've missed a couple of days. Not a couple of days of work because just because I didn't want to spread it. I knew it was ugly, but then I'm like... I forgot the podcast. I'm like, you know what? I do have to talk. Can, can my throat take the strain? So, you know, tea and, and, and honey, um, just just a great combination. I've been basically drinking that all day and Sprite Cranberry. This isn't a plug, but, you know, from the commercial <laughs> LeBron. <laughs> I've been basically on that, and I think it's been helping out a little bit. So here we are. All, those, all those remedies and the full dedication to the pod, really, just very Always. impressive. <laughs> Always, Eric. You know it. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's dive in um, and try and save your voice a little bit. We'll go start, of course, with our Full Court Press mailbag. Get ready, because it's time for the Full Court Press. Questions we got here. I think we'll start off with this first one. It's a very team-specific question um, from at ctoma24 on Twitter. Um, and he asked, do you think the Nuggets offense will improve and who should start at the three while Barton is out? Um, you know, I, I feel pretty confident their offense is going to improve. Currently, they're at 10th and, and that was pulled before. They're playing. They're currently playing right now against the Jazz, but they were 10th um, when I last checked um, Saturday morning. Um, they still have the fourth ranked defense heading into tonight's game, which is really impressive. But, you know, they're still 10th. So they're not like, you know, they're still pretty much an elite offense. I think I consider if you're top 10, you're elite on that end of the floor. Um, and really, you look at the other factors. Isaiah Thomas will come back at some point. He's obviously offensive-minded. Actually, he's only offense. Um, uh, Barton will return eventually from the injury. Um, but then really, you know, in terms of the players that they have on the floor right now, their shooting should normalize because right now they're 28th in the league in, in team three-point percentage at 31.1%, which is really bad because last season they shot 37.4% as a team. So that's a that's an over 6% difference. So, you know, maybe they creep up back to 34, 35, 36% as a team, and that normalizes, and that's obviously going to do so much for their offense. I mean, Jamal, uh, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris themselves both are shooting 27% on threes. That's going to go back up. Um, they both were above, I think, 38% last year, so they should at least normalize back to 36 to 38 percent from beyond the arc as well um and then the other second part of this question uh who should start at the three while barton is out i mean i, I still think i like tory craig starting at the three for now i mean i know he's really really rough offensively like he might be one of the worst offensive players in the league at this moment. Um, but really, look at the numbers. I mean, the starting lineup, um, Murray, Harris, Millsap, Jokic, with, with Craig at, at the three, has a, a plus 4.3 net rating, which is good-ish. Uh, it's good enough. Um, and I think I think the main thing that I like Craig at the three is that they've got enough offensive creation and shooting once those guys start hitting their threes. They've got enough of the offensive creation and shooting around him in that starting lineup. And I think that Craig's energy and the defense he provides alongside a, a guy like Paul Paul Millsap can help the starting lineup more than, say, like Juancho Hernan Gomez, um, who's more of an offensive-minded player. So I feel like if you've got Jokic, Murray, and Harris on the floor all at the same time, um, 
you know, you could use a little bit more energy, a little bit more tenacity on the defensive end, and that's what Craig gives you, you know, instead of all the other options. So it, the numbers aren't, like, sexy in terms of what Craig is doing in the starting lineup, but I think it's solid enough for now and what they need in the starting lineup. And, you know, I think their offense is going to go back to normal. I think their defense will drop and their and their offense will improve. And they should finish as a top-five offense. And I think they could be, like, the 15th-ranked defense. I mean, I still think they could fall really far, but... Um, I'm, I'm confident the offense is going to improve, and I'm going to stick with Torrey Craig in the starting lineup for now. Yeah, you're the you're the Nuggets uh, expert here <laughs> out of the two of us, so I'm going to have to agree with you. I have, from what I've watched, just seen that Torrey Craig offensively is, is almost a non-entity. <laughs> um, but you're right. He has enough offense on that end to, to kind of cover his limitations. I look at him like a, a more – I mean, defensively, he's, I think he's more of the strength. I think he's more like um, – What's the word for it? I liken it to how the Thunder and Andre Roberson kind of are. Like, you, you don't have them there. Oh, you mean you have them there because you have to have them starting. But I think the offensive limitations are, are negated some because of the sheer firepower that's around him. Like you said, in Murray, Harris, um, in Jokic. So you just, I think that holds. You just kind of keep it the way it is there. And Hernan Gomez off the bench has been okay. So roll with that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, listen, what what's, what they've been doing so far is working. So, I mean, you know, you know what they <laughs> yeah, exactly. say, don't change things, you know, if they're working. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I think is, is the actual expression. But uh, uh, let's move on to our, our second question. This is a good one um, from, from Jackson Lloyd, at jlloyd952 on Twitter. And he asked a, a two-part question. Number one, team or teams that are off to a hot start that you're not buying. Uh, I got a couple. I'll start with the Kings. Um, I think that... <laughs> Their numbers are like not misleading. Like they're not shooting an absurd percentage. They're you know solid on both ends of the floor. I just don't think that they truly have the talent to be this good for like the entire season. Um, their net rating is just plus one point six, which is which is you know obviously not worthy of like a six. They were I think they're six and three right now. So um, I think that they're catching teams off guard with a high pace. Um, style of play and, and young guys they're providing energy and catching a couple teams early in the season where some injuries or teams are still integrating you know their pieces together and getting into the flow of things um, I think they're going to fall back down I think they're going to be better than, than most people expected um, especially when you consider they don't have their first round pick this year so they really have no incentive to truly tank games um, so they'll be going for the win every single night that'll make them a much tougher out than people think but I don't think you know this six and three start um, they're 16th offensively, 15th defensively, basically league average on both ends of the floor, barely a positive net rating. Um, I think I see them as, as a solid, like, you know, 30, mid thirties win team, potentially if they keep playing like at this style of play and the young guys like Darren Fox has been really good. Um, I just don't think they have the, the talent to be, you know, as good as their record indicates they've been so far. Um, I'll stick in the West with the Spurs. Um, currently, they have the ninth ranked offense and the 19th ranked defense, but their net rating is just plus 0.4. I think they're going to fall back a little bit. They might improve defensively because, I mean, 19th is not what we've come to expect from the Spurs, even though their personnel is, there really aren't many good defenders on this roster. Um, but, I mean, they, their net differential, I mean, they're 5-2 and two and they have barely have a positive net differential. I think they're 6-2. I think they just beat the Pelicans tonight. But, um, they're the Spurs team that's going to have like the misleading stats and yet end up with a really really good record. Um, I still think that you know maybe DeRozan gets a couple of you know cold stretches or some injuries play here up play up here and there, um, and they'll fall back down a little bit. Um, I, ha I still haven't missed in the playoffs, but I, I do get more and more nervous about that every day. The, the way they keep you know grinding out these wins, um, and then the Grizzlies, are, all all Western teams, I just noticed that. But um, I mean, I think the Grizzlies should be a good team if they stay healthy. 
but I don't think they're this good. Um, cleaning the glass has them based on their point differential um, on pace for almost 58 wins if they keep playing at this level of play, which, I mean, obviously no one would have expected. You know, they're they're an interesting team because they're I think they're a really good test for how much, you know, you can ride a good defense in the regular season because right now they're second defensively and 23rd offensively. Um, and usually, you know, people th- sometimes think that defense is overrated in the regular season, especially this year with all the scoring going up. Um, but so far, they're just grinding games out. Gasol and Conley are, being, are, are just solid enough on most ends, on most nights. Garrett Temple's, you know, been really good so far this season. Um, Kyle Anderson is disappointed. Kyle Anderson's probably one of the players that can improve the most on the Grizzlies over the course of the next couple weeks in the season. So maybe the offense improves there with him getting a bigger role. Um, but I think that, you know, I think either it's going to be a couple of injuries or, you know, teams catching up to them. They played a really slow pace. Maybe their defense isn't there every night. Um, I think they're, they're just, they're going to be a good team if they stay healthy, but they're not going to be this good. So I think that's, it's a hot start that I'm not really buying. Um, I can buy them being a solid team. Um, but I can't buy them being almost a 58-win team for that matter. Yeah, that does seem a little bit unlikely. <laughs> I mean, for me, there's some overlap between our teams. There wasn't really – I couldn't grasp too many on – I was trying to find some of the East that I thought, okay, had hot starts I didn't expect. But, like, the Pacers are playing as expected, in my opinion. I mean, clutch win today. Victor Oladipo um, with the with the big three in the closing uh, seconds over the Celtics. That was huge. But the Raptors, man, the 8-1 – I mean – I think they're legit. Like that's that's just them. The Bucks, I think, are shooting maybe a little bit too hot from three than than I would think. I mean, Chris Middleton right at fifty percent, Malcolm Brogdon at forty four, Eric Bledsoe around thirty five, Brooke Lopez thirty six, or something so at thirty four percent. I mean, Tony Snell at forty. Like they're they're shooting a, a good a good volume of threes. I know that's Coach Bud's scheme now as far as pace and space. Giannis having the most room to work with just in his in his career. I think some of that shooting will back down to earth, but this is a strong stable of shooters, more or less, so I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. Um, I'm just I'm grasping the straws here. I'd want to say the Nuggets. I mean, they're 7-1. and one. They're playing well, even in the wake of the Will Barton injury, and their defense is legit. I mean, the numbers back it up. I just I think they're due for some type of regression. I just think that they are, especially, you know, as a they've had a strong strength of schedule. I don't know. I just... I, that's my hunch. I, I'm a lot more hunch-based than you are with the numbers here. This is just, I, I was going to say the Spurs, which kind of went at them because I figured, you know, they still have a, a dearth of outside shooting that I think will come back um, to make a big deal. They're playing a lot through DeMar DeRozan. He's playing very, very well, like MVP-level type numbers. But I don't know how, how far that's going to hold. But, yeah, th- those are really the teams I have. Everyone else, to me, is, is kind of playing more or less true to form. I mean, I mean, at least on the teams that are playing, you know, that are, that are playing bad that, that we expect to improve upon or playing better that we expect to down yeah yeah in terms of those teams it feels like i feel it feels like almost all of these starts like in the east like i i mean you know i was really high in the raptors coming into the season so eight and one is really not surprising to me the bucks seven and one is a little bit better and a little bit more surprising than i thought um pacers you know pacers seven and three celtics six and three six or six and four like none of these teams are like off to insane starts i think i do agree the nuggets i mean i think they're gonna be really good you know, yeah. they're, based on their point differential, they'd be on pace for 65 wins. So obviously, that's I don't think they're going to win that many <laughs> games. Um, but they're 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 a team that can be good. So I mean, seven and one. You know, maybe eight and one if they win tonight. That's a little bit you know better than I expected, and I think they're going to fall down a little bit. Um, but again, they, their offense has room to improve, and we'll see how how much their defense drops over over the next couple of weeks. But let's go to his second part, which is basically the opposite. Um, and teams off to sluggish starts that you expect to improve. Um, and I think there are a couple of clear ones. I mean, the Rockets are obviously one. 
James Harden just returned tonight. James Ennis returned last night and, and was able to play the back-to-back, and they won against the Nets, which I attended. It was a great game. And then they won right. in Chicago um, tonight, barely, which, again. Um, but I think that just having Harden and Ennis back and getting them integrated should lead to some natural improvement overall. Um, you can't all, you can never rule out a roster change or an upgrade. Um, they still have a lot of injuries, like, Eric Gordon, you know, missed tonight's game after Harden comes back, and they still basically have no backup center that's proven. They're playing Isaiah Hartenstein, and Clint Capella always feels like he's getting banged up here and there, and you can never rule out Chris Paul getting hurt. Um, Mellow's, like, haven't had the best two games of this of his season so far, you know, so yeah, that's going to come back down to earth a little bit. So there is, you know, ways where they don't get off to, you know, they don't just, like, reel off, like, 10 straight wins, and they just kind of struggle and hover around 500 over the next couple of weeks. But I think ultimately they will improve on a – what was a one and five start, but now they're three and five. Um, your Lakers. Um, I oh, thank think, you. Thank you. I think I don't think they're going to be a truly elite team, but I think they're going to get back on pace to win like 45, 46 games. Um, they just added Tyson Chandler, who you know he's been really bad this year, but again, compared to what they've had in backup center, if when they don't want to go small ball, he's you know he'll be something for them at least. And he's a big body that can grab boards um, and somewhat kind of deter guards from driving to the rim every every possession. Um, I think. They're going to, you know, figure things out a little bit more and they should get back on pace, you know, to be a solid playoff team. Um, and I think the Thunder, you know, have already started improving. Oh, man, I was going to um, say that, yeah. I mean, I, I almost didn't want to pick them because they're 500 now. And I guess it's kind of a disappointing start. But basically, you rule out the games without Russell Westbrook and they're 4-2 and two with him, I think. So, you know, they're taking care of business. I mean, they want a back-to-back in Charlotte and then, oh, God, those Wizards. We'll, we'll get to them later. Um, <laughs> yeah, the sure pa- will. Pelicans are now 4-5 and five after they lost tonight to the Spurs, and but they're basically only that record because AD missed a couple of games. Um, so if he had played some of those, they're probably like, you know, 6-2 and two or something, or 5-3 and three or something like that, and that's not really a, a big deal. I the Wizards. I want. I almost wanted to put them on those lists, but I I, I have no confidence now that they're going to make the playoffs at this point. No. Um, I mean, no. based on their point differential, according to Cleaning the Glass, they're on pace for uh, 16 wins. I don't think they're going to be that bad, but um, <coughs> they should they should improve. But they're they're. I just have no confidence to really put them as a team on this list that's going to improve enough, as well as like the Rockets and Lakers will, for that matter. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I was going to say Thunder as well. I mean, the Wizards, like you said, more on them later, but there there is zero confidence um, in them, in, in my opinion. I don't have any. As far as the Thunder, yeah, and not, notwithstanding this last win against um, the Wizards because, geez, Louise, it was just a perfect storm. The Thunder, I mean, Thunder have been shooting through Thursday night. They were shooting 26% from three as a team. Friday, they were shoot, they shot 46.9%. I mean, it, it was it was insane. I, mean, I think it started off with Terrence Ferguson, who's just been awful at the starting shooting guard spot, and Jeremy Grant, who was five for twenty-two from re-entering um, Thursday's game, or not Thursday's game, entering um, Friday's game. They both started four for four from downtown, like combined, and that kind of set the tone for things to come. But they're they're rounding back into form. I do think that they would have been better had Russell Westbrook not missed a couple of games and then not been starting to wreck himself back into shape and everything, but. I'm right there with you on that. The Pelicans as well, like you said, probably six and two, probably five and three. Although I do think it is concerning that they fall they fall that far without AD. I mean, he did have a piece. I forget it was a newspaper, magazine, or whatever, where he was like, you know what, you know, I I, I kind of have so like basically tremendous responsibility he has to lift this team up. And you know, with the moves that they did make, especially with Julius Randle, I thought in the front court, I thought that that would kind of um, prop them up when ad was out because you have another uh, power forward another big guy who could play you know star level minutes and give that same type of production but you know they kind of still had him coming off the bench 
and three of their four losses that they had while AD was gone were by double digits. I thought that was a little bit concerning, especially since I kind of liked the the pieces around AD, although I wasn't as high on them as you were, you know, just on their own. But they have been missing um, – Oh man, his name's escaping me. Alfred Payton as well. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, it's there's a couple teams that are there that are starting to round into form as we talk, I guess. And there's the Wizards. So you know, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see which teams, which of these starts are for real. Because again, like the, the the key example of, of hot starts is the Magic from last year when they were like eight and four, and then they ended up Gosh. with like twenty five wins or something like that. So, I still want to make a mag- Magic joke. This, like this, like for this one right here. Then I saw they were two and six, and there was no way I could form one. Yikes! Um, yeah. All right, let's move on to. Uh, I don't know if I count both of them as fun questions, but one, yeah, right? uh, one yeah. from our old friend uh, Forrest Walker uh, at oh, Donuts yeah. on Twitter, um, capital D U N O T S. Will Game yeah. One of the Finals be in Toronto or Oakland or in Oakland? Um, I'll go Oakland. I think the Warriors seem hungry for regular season success more than usual. Um, and I feel like once Boogie Cousins will come back, he'll be a player that's kind of motivated to, to prove that he can fit in and that can help him in the regular season a little bit more as well. Um, they just seem like they're, I don't know, they seem like they're more locked in than, than they usually would after another championship. Um, uh, obviously, this question is kind of funny because it's just assuming that the Raptors and Warriors are going to make the finals. I do think that's, that's that the finals matchup is going to be Raptors versus Warriors. Um, and I do think that the Warriors will open game one at home. I'm just shocked that LA is not an option. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely say Oracle as well, only because you're right. They've been playing with a lot more of an edge. They're motivated. They're hungry. I mean, Coach Curry's been speaking about how he wants to get, you know, Demarcus Cousins a ring, like publicly. Steph Curry's leading the league in scoring, and it's been scorching hot. Um, Draymond Green's been talking about winning Defensive Player of the Year and and, and proving it, backing it up. They 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 seem to have found that inner motivation to, to to strive, and you could see it by the way they're playing, just streamrolling teams. I had the numbers from Clean the Glass, and then I dozed off and fell asleep, and they refreshed. <laughs> so uh, I don't have them right now. Oh yeah, the point differential, number one at sixteen point five. Um, they're just they're just crazy right now as how how well they're playing. Number one in points per possession, number one effective field goal percentage, just as a team. I mean, it, it, it's it's insane. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be an oracle. Although it's gonna be a great matchup. I mean, we're talking about this on November the third, but um, yeah, you know, um, come come June between the Raptors and and um, the Warriors. Nice 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 little uh, finals preview. Absolutely. Um, right, and I, I got it. Huh? We can't rule out the Celtics yet, but yeah. No, no, we can't. We can't rule them. I'm sorry, <laughs> but what we can rule out is this next question from Ugh. Justin Carter. Who, Why? I've been trolling relentlessly, and he hasn't responded, which I'm not sure either impresses or angers me, but um, <laughs> I've basically been asking why, 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 and I'm going to share the question. Is regarding the Lakers, and you know, there was word that um, ESPN had a report, basically something to the effect of Coach Walton was strongly, um, let's say, talked to by Magic Johnson, and his job security is may or may not be iffy, but you know, apparently, um, our, our, I, don't, I forgot his name. What's the name who gave out the report? He was on ESPN with the oh Chris Broussard, yeah, came out and basically said that guess what if you know the Lakers don't uh if, if Coach Walton's out then look for either Jason Kidd or Mark Jackson and I just visibly cringed right <laughs> when I saw that. But here's the question: Jason Kidd or Mark Jackson? And you can't say neither. So that's like a catch twenty two gun to my head and I have to pull the trigger. But I'm gonna let you tackle it first, Eric. I I I don't I Jason Kidd that, that's it I'm moving on I, I'm not gonna oh put any God. rationale for that. 
I'm going to disagree. Also, not give rationale. Say Mark Jackson. Next question. I don't want. I just like. I feel like it'll it'll kill my mood if we spend time talking about these two coaches. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Mark Jackson's my answer, and and, and that'll close us out with the mailbag. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's. Uh, great questions, and we'll ask for them uh, again next week for next week's episode. Um, but with that, let's move on to our half court heave prediction segment. Um, it's time to take the half court heave. I'll go first pretty quickly. Um, it was hard to come up with a prediction. I, I went for more of a season-long one, and I, I think that uh, my prediction is is that the top three of MVP voting in some order will be AD, Giannis, and Lillard. I think that I think LeBron either won't have good enough team record or won't really try as hard for the award as he could, um, and that could kind of hurt him. Um, I think Curry will probably, if he stays healthy, be the true MVP uh, of the season. Um, but I feel like he's, he's again, he's going to lose votes to having Durant and he's going to lose votes to, to the Warriors dominance where he's going to sit out a lot of fourth quarters and, and not put up as insane stats. Though then again, he can put up 50 points in three quarters. So who knows? Um, but I do think there's, I don't want to say voter fatigue cause he obviously hasn't wanted in, in two years. Um, I think he'll be like the most valuable player this season, but I, I just feel like there are other factors that'll prevent him from finishing in the top three. Um, I think that AD and Giannis were going to, obviously they're going to have awesome numbers and they should be on good teams. I mean, I think the Bucks, you know, could win or should win, you know, 50 games, if not more. Um, and if they do that, I think Giannis might become a front runner based on the numbers he's going to have. And if they win like 53 games, I mean, that's a, that's a perfect mix for, for MVP. Um, and AD, you know, the, the the Pelicans are obviously, you know, they lost five straight and obviously a bunch of those were without him. But if he puts up a lot of numbers and they still get into the playoffs as an upper 40s win team, we've seen Westbrook do, you know, win the MVP on a, on a lower seed. So I think that's still a possibility. And he could definitely, he's definitely going to have the numbers at least for top three of voting. And then Lillard, you know, might be surprising. He finished fourth last season. So it's not like it's an out of the blue thing. Um, and right now, I mean, so far this season, 29.1 points, six assists, 5.1 rebounds. And if he if he leads the the Blazers again to a top three or four seed, if they win you know forty eight plus games, I he definitely should be in that conversation. I mean, again, I mentioned he finished fourth last season, so he's kind of knocking on the door of top three. And I think that another strong season from the Blazers and an even better season from him, he somehow continues to improve every year. Um, I think that those three people, those three players, all have individual cases based on their team record and their stats, and a mixture of other candidates kind of falling down due to other potential you know roadblocks, I guess you'd call it. And I think that my half-court heave is that the top three of MVP voting will be AD, Giannis, and Lillard in some order. I like it. I like it. I'm with you. You kind of swayed me with Lillard there because <laughs> I was going to be more of a case for LeBron if the Lakers have a late-season turnaround. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, so speaking of LeBron, my my uh, half-court heave, no surprise, is the Lakers-centric. Between now and next week, this time, um, <laughs> basically November 10th, Next Saturday, I think the Lakers are going to go three and zero on their three games. They play; they're playing right now. They're down one, going into the half against the Trailblazers, fifty-seven to fifty-six. They play the Raptors tomorrow. Then they play the Timberwolves on Wednesday, and then the Kings next Saturday. I say the Lakers win all three of them. And I mean, at first glance, it might not be that big of a half court eve, but I mean, the Raptors are a tough team, whether or not Kawhi Leonard plays, and he has been resting on some of the back to backs the Raptors have been having. But I still think the Lakers can pull it out. The Timberwolves is an interesting one, but you know Jimmy Butler and the dysfunction that's going on over there, I think, will enable the Lakers to kind of right the ship, along with the the fire of um, the fire under their uh, butt on Luke Walton. I think will kind of spur them on. And then the third one will be a nice gutty win over the Kings, who've been surprisingly good, even though we already talked about their numbers and how they might be a little misleading. But that's my half court heave. 
three and that means come this next week, depending on where the Lakers are with this game, they'll be a little bit comfortably over five hundred. All right, I like it. More of a, a focus on the next upcoming stretch of games rather than season long. I like that. Change things up a little bit. Um, gotcha. And let's move on to our <laughs> next main segment, the three points. Um, now let's move on to our three points. I'll get us started. Um, so as I mentioned, I attended Nets game in person, first one of the season. Um, but it won't be my last because this Nets team is very interesting. And, and really my point or my the topic I want to discuss is is really I'm I'm really interested to see what this Nets core quote unquote core ends up being. Um, oh yeah, I got it. Oh, sorry. I think I think they've got two main pieces. Again, Karis Levert is off to a great start, but again, it's too early to say it's like going to you know keep up for the whole season. Now he could be having like a, a quasi um, Oladipo season. Obviously not as explosive. You know he's he's averaging twenty points per game and I think four and a half assists, four and a half rebounds compared to Oladipo, which I think was like twenty four points a game last year, 25. Um, but it's at that same level compared to what he was last year. Clearly um, a, a, a top candidate for most improved player. And then Jared Allen, I think, continues to improve. Um, still has to round out his game a little bit, but I think that he, he is what you might be looking for in a modern center at this point. Rim running, defending the rim, hitting corner three sometime, from time to time. So I think that those are two main pieces. And then after that, you get the question marks. And just potential guys that could fit into their core. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell, and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I think that those are three players that they're supporting pieces that I think could stick around on this team and yet at the same time could be traded or just not re-signed in the offseason. I think that there's going to be, obviously there's going to be a situation between Dinwiddie and Russell and deciding between the two um, because they're going to be big fish hunting in free agency and if they want to add a big fish, they're not going to re-sign both of those guys. Um, so I wanted to dive in and I dove in a little bit in the stats on, on a couple of these players and so far, you know, D'Angelo Russell this season, Again, putting up his usual stats, fifteen, basically 15 points a game, 5.5 assists per game, around 4 rebounds per game, shooting 42% on threes, which is a career high by a lot. So I, I think that's going to I think that's gonna fall down. <laughs> I think that's going to fall down a little bit, um, or maybe a lot, honestly, it could. But 42% is a, is, a, is a pretty big anomaly for his career so far. And yet, you look at the deeper numbers, and he's got a negative box plus minus, Below average PER and that net rating that we talked about, I think it was in the teams in the division previews when we focused on the Nets. We were talking about if Russell's going to contribute to winning more, and his net rating is is negative five point eight, which is actually worse than it was last season. Um, the team is better with him off the floor so far. Um, again, it's early, small sample size, but again, like we talked about in that division preview. Um, he had a, he's had a negative rating, I think, every year of his career so far. So it's not like it's a weird thing that's just starting now. He's always been a kind of put up the numbers, make some flashy highlights, get hot every now and then, but really on a possession-to-possession basis isn't as valuable as people would think. Um, turning to Dinwiddie, he's kind of in a similar situation in terms of his stats. Um, 15 points a game, 3.6 assists per game. Again, shooting 43.5% on threes, which, again, is a career high by a lot. So, again, that can fall down Um Negative 0.3 box plus minus. And you look at this now. Russell's net rating was negative 5.8. Dinwiddie's is almost negative 12. Um, Now, last season, Dinwiddie was a plus 5.8 net rating. So it's a little bit different where, you know, maybe it's a small sample size. Maybe it's not the right lineup. So maybe just not playing as well. Um, But I think that if I had to choose between the two, I'm keeping Dinwiddie. Um, And I know you actually, this is actually funny because you actually asked these questions uh, on Twitter uh, during the week. Um, and so I think I think overall I, I think he just impacts winning a little bit more. Um, but the other key reason I'm keeping Dinwiddie 
while he is, I think, four years older, he's going to be much cheaper. Um, I think, you know, he could, and there was an, I think there was an article where he said he'd be, he'd love to sign that four year, $48 million extension, which is what they can offer him starting sometime in December when he becomes eligible for that. That's the max they can offer him. And he said he'd love to accept that. And honestly, if I, if I can get Dinwiddie on four years, 48, I would look to trade Russell because you can have Dinwiddie a point guard. You've got Karis Liver, another ball handler who looks to be taking a huge step forward this year. And then you have a little bit more cap space compared to if you had to resign D'Angelo for He's a restricted free agent, so if a team gets desperate and, and offers him $16 million a year, I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable paying D'Angelo Russell that based on what we've seen so far in his career. Um, so if I, between those two, in terms of focusing on the guards, I would choose Dinwiddie. Um, but turning to Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is a really interesting player and situation because he, he's now in a bench role because they want Jared Dudley starting um, for more of shooting and, and floor spacing. Um, and you look at his stats, you know, he's averaging 8.6 points, 6 rebounds per game. Um, He's only playing 21.4 minutes per game, which is a huge decrease from last year when he played around 28 minutes per game. Um, you know, he's got a positive defensive box plus minus, so obviously he's doing something on the defensive end. Um, but everything else is not pretty. Uh, 10.6 PER, his his offensive box plus minus is negative 7.8. A net rating of negative 4.9, which is the worst of his career. So... You know, I just don't know. I don't have a good feeling on Hollis Jefferson yet. Um, and I feel like with him, it's really going to depend on what he's offered in restricted free agency because I would be, if I'm the Nets, Set I would be, market. yeah, exactly. I would be in no rush to offer him a deal without seeing what exactly that you said. Let, let the market dictate his situation. Um, I don't think as of right now, of course, he could, you know, break out the next couple of weeks and more months, but I don't think I'd pay him more than $10 million a season based on what the advanced numbers have said and just the difficulty of playing him alongside another non-shooter in, in a center like Jared Allen. I mean, if you wanted to start him and Allen together, that's two positions. You have no three-point shooting. Russell has been a really inconsistent shooter in his career. Levert is, is a below-average three-point shooter so far. You know, Joe Harris, you'd have to play at the three as an elite shooter, but you don't have enough shooting with that kind of lineup. So I think with Hollis Jefferson, I'm letting the market dictate a situation. I'm definitely focused on keeping Dinwiddie instead of Russell. Um, and then I'm looking to, to sign a big fish in, in free agency. And you and you add a star player to this Nets team, and they are a, I think they're a top six seed easily just because of their younger players will develop and they'll have a star to go to on a night-to-night basis, which is still what they're missing, even though Levert is slowly becoming that in an Old Depot-like sense from last year. Um, but really, this is a long-winded just way of me saying that I'm just interested and I'm going to keep my eye on not only the Nets this season and watch them a lot more, but also what this what their core ends up being and, and how they build around their core and add to it in subsequent years. You, you give oh, a very well-thorough point there. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of D'Angelo Russell, always have been since L.A., which is why it kind of hurts me to say that I kind of agree with you. Although, if I was in charge of Brooklyn, I would definitely uh, prefer D'Angelo Russell only because he is, like you said, four years younger. And I think that there is still some potential to be tapped into. Also, giving him all the minutes, just kind of throwing him out there, which they've kind of done and it's kind of shown itself. But just just keep dumping minutes to him. I believe in D'Angelo Russell. Which is also hilarious because in 2K right now, I basically uh, simulated the year and signed Kyrie Irving to be on my starting point guard for Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> so <laughs> take everything I just said with a grain of salt. But no, that, that that makes perfect sense. And as far as Raleigh Hunter, Hollis Jefferson, if the dude could just shoot, and I know he's been kind of branching out just a little bit to the corners on a three-point shot, but I think he'd be so active as a defender, kind of secondary playmaker, you know, that kind of deal where if he had a, a more consistent jump shot, that was a three. Because Kenny Atkins is putting him in spots where he can be more of a, not an offense facilitator, but have the ball more in a different type of role. But, I mean, without the shooting, it's really it really limit, it puts a cap on his production, just in general, especially in this league. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to go on from there and, and move to my point, which is um, 
is concerning a certain Washington Wizards team. And I remember putting the title of my point being, Washington, what is you doing? <laughs> so um, that's mine. The Wizards were, as we all know, 1-6 heading into last night's game against OKC. But, you know, everyone thought things would be better because Dwight Howard was here. <laughs> the last time I said that was in 2013, so I've learned my lesson. I wasn't saying that. Anyway, it was to no surprise when they lost by 23 to OKC in a game that seriously wasn't close after the first half. They've honestly been just a mess, and even with the much softer schedule coming up ahead, I have no hope for these guys, and we already talked about it. There's just, there's just none there to give. I think it's time to blow it up. Just blow it all up. I'm personally of the belief that the Wall-Beal partnership has run its course. John Wall in particular, um, he's going to have to stay if the Wizards blow it up because he gets a nice little raise coming up next year where he starts off at $37 million and that contract only gets uglier. So that leaves Bradley Beal and Otto Porter, who are due between 25 and $29 million over the next three years. I think that Beal could get more right now based off his current play. And a trade I'd like is Beal to L.A. for Hart, Ingram. And either Rondo or KCP, once they become eligible, um, Beal's only 25, great production in L.A. under the bright lights with LeBron. I think his type of play would lend itself better to L.A. And, yeah, you know, losing Hart and Ingram would be kind of rough. But I think that Beal would be a mixture of both of those two players' attributes as far as the second banana to LeBron as well as someone who can defend and shoot pretty well. And Rondo and KCP would just be, you know, the filler there. Or, or even be able to Minnesota, which would be interesting for Andrew Wiggins straight up, which would, like I said, that'd be something I thought about. Or even be able to Minnesota for Butler straight up. I mean, that I think would be more fun. Um, not only because on Washington side, yeah, you get Jimmy Butler for one year. If things don't work out well, then you just move on from him. But imagine the fun that'd be in the locker room with oh my Dwight God. Howard, Jimmy Butler, and John Wall. I mean, it, it'd just be hilarious. And, you know, I tried those in the trade machine. They all work, so that's one. Um, as far as Otto Porter, I could only find one trade that I really liked, and that would be sending him to New Orleans. And I think that would work pretty well because New Orleans, I mean, they've been they've been okay. They're shooting the league average 36% from three. Um, in two of the three losses without Anthony Davis, they've shot under 30%, and they've given up a third worst 39.3% shooting from deep. Um, overall, they do a pretty good job shooting. Um, just at 48%, and they also allow 48.2% shooting, which is only f- with fifth worst. So it's like they, they have a decent team there starting at in, in place right now. Four small forward is each one more, and he's good. He's serviceable, but if you bring Otto Porter there, you get extra four inches of height. You get extra three inches of wingspan. Um, the shooting field goal percentage is better, um, 53.2% for Otto, um, for each one more compared to 45.7%. Defensively, he gives you more, and the trade could actually work if you were to do I mean, Otto Porter is at $26 million, just over that. So let's say you traded each one more Solomon Hill and Wesley Johnson. I mean, financially it adds up. I'm not sure what whether that would work for Washington, how you could how you would convince them more. But Kelly Oubre is extension eligible after this upcoming season. So basically you could kind of swing this as a way to give Kelly Oubre more minutes, and he's already gotten more minutes in, what, I think the last three games, more than Otto Porter anyway. So you might as well just give him that run and kind of add some more wing help with Solomon Hill and Wesley Johnson as far as depth. And I'm sure you'd have to throw in a, a first-rounder or so because yeah. there's no way that, you know, you're just going to sell Washington those guys and say, listen, <laughs> you can try Kelly Oubre. You know, it's not, it's not going to happen. Um, but I think that would be crucial, especially with Anthony Davis, as far as future of the franchise. He needs more help. And I think Otto Porter is a great player who's just not getting that time. And, and Washington, just the center dysfunction, he's not really going to get that time to showcase. Yeah, I mean, I, I think blow it up. Uh-huh, yeah, sorry. I mean, I'm all for. I mean, 
it's so hard to say to, for a team to blow it up, but I mean, th- this team is like the example of something has say, got to change. Like, something. I don't care if it's a minor thing. Some move has got to be made um, to shake something up because they cannot continue like this. Because if they don't blow it up, they're stuck with this roster for until those contracts run out because they have no cap flexibility at all to add anybody. I mean, Dwight has a play option next year. Who knows if he accepts that? But he might because what team's going to offer him, you know, five and a half million dollars at this point? Exactly. So a plethora of free agents. You got to remember, all of those free agents are lined up coming for them. Yeah. So um, I, I'm totally, I'm totally all in on on the Wizards kind of doing something to drastically shake it up. Um, and and I, I think it would be interesting to, to explore a Butler deal because if you can use like a, a Beal to trade, like if you traded like Beal. And like a first or something like that for for Butler and like Tyus Jones and someone else maybe. And if Butler or maybe you trade you trade Beal and you know some other player on the Wizards, some role player, like Filler, yeah, for but, for Butler something. and like a first, because um, the, the the Timberwolves would be getting not only Beal, who's obviously a great scorer, uh, all star, but he's also under contract and he's young. So the really. The Timberwolves might want to. The Timberwolves should honestly give up a first round pick to the Wizards, and then this is a situation like the Raptors, where it's like you get a star, um, and of course, adding Butler could be extremely toxic, or maybe he just natural talent wins out and they just they, they play better. But if he leaves, then you're set up for a potential not a full rebuild, but some kind of retooling with those first round picks, and maybe you get off you know Portal or Wall somehow. I don't know how to do it, but it's a mess. Even if they were to blow it up, it would be a mess with those contracts. So something oh, yeah, to watch. Definitely. But uh. All right, I'll move on to my second point. Um, and my second point, I want to show some love to some underappreciated big men that are role players. Um, I'm going to start off with Maxi Kleber from the Dallas Mavericks, who is really, is just really one of the most underrated players so far this season. Obviously, it's still a small sample size, but the numbers are incredible. This season, he's got a plus 17.4 net rating. <laughs> both, the offense, wow. both the offense and the defense improved by nearly 9 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. So he's clearly making an impact on both ends. But not only that, he's a big man that can shoot threes. Uh, he's attempting 3.3 per game, and he's knocking down 38.5% of those. So if he continues to be an above-average three-point shooter on over three attempts per game, that's enough of a threat where defenders have to pay attention to you. Again, it provides more floor spacing for Dennis Smith Jr., Luka Doncic, etc. And he's also blocking shots, 1.6 blocks per game. So, I mean, this is a guy who really came out of nowhere um, to be a, a really, really good backup um, for the Mavericks. And it's just an incredible find for them if they can keep him moving forward on a cheap deal. Um I think he's going to be a restricted free agent in the summer, and in which case, I would, if I'm a team looking for a really, really good backup center, I would be throwing a decent amount of money, not a lot of money, but I would throw some money at the Mavericks to make them consider matching it, um, because obviously the numbers show so far, of course, we have to see if he can continue it, that he's impactful on both ends of the floor, and the rare big that can block shots and defend the rim while also hitting three-pointers. I mean, no one's really talking about it, but Maxi Kleber is right up. I mean, I think Zach Lowe started talking about it with a couple of tweets, but um, Maxi Kleber is one of the role players to watch moving forward in the rest of the season for the Mavericks. One of my favorite role players, Anthony Tolliver, of course. I feel like I mentioned oh, I love him. That, dude. I feel like I mentioned him every episode. You, you uh, try. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, so far this season, again, I checked before they played last night. So this is, I think it's, man, I have to check again, but he was at uh, 48.4%. On three pointers, let me check right now to update it. So now it's at forty-four point four percent, still a very elite rate. Forty-four point four percent 
um, on threes. He's attempting four per game, um, which I think needs to increase. He's still, I mean, when he's out on the floor, he should just be jacking up those threes just to get more spacing and shooting and make defenders guard him. Um, but really, again, another role player, a, a plus 9.3 net rating when he's on the floor. I think he should still be getting more minutes. Wow. Um, there are nights where he's playing like 14 minutes per game. Some nights he gets like 20, 24, but he should be a consistent guy that's getting you know 22 to 24 minutes per game for his shooting. And the numbers say he's having a positive impact when he's on the floor. So Anthony Tolliver, again, another role player I want to show some love to. And then the third one is second-year big man Zach Collins. Um, 11.1 points, 4.7 rebounds, two blocks per game. So he's, he's clearly defending the rim in some capacity. Um, he's shooting 50% on threes, which is obviously an insane number, but he's only attempting 1.7 per game. So I, I think you'd like to see the attempts go up, and obviously the percentage will come down. Um, but again, another role player with a huge net rating, plus 9.6. Um, it's really only because of the defense, um, which is 11.1 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. So... You know, he's been he's really good. He's a situational defender. He's kind of in the right position. Obviously, he's blocking shots and defending the rim. Um, I think that it's interesting because a lot of people, and including myself, um, you know, that we criticize the Blazers for letting Shabazz Napier and Ed Davis leave. But so far, obviously, it's still early. But so far, Collins is filling in nicely for Ed Davis. Seth Curry is filling in very well for, for Shabazz Napier. And even Nick Stalsis is kind of filling in for Pat Connaughton as that wing shooter. So, so far they banked on... Perfectly. Yeah, they banked on Collins taking that next step, you know, with a development. And they banked on, you know, getting Curry and Stalskis for cheap. And so far that's working out for the Blazers. I mean, they are, uh, what are they, 6-2? and two? Yeah, they're 6-2. and two. Yeah. So things are working out for them. But again, um, I guess to overall sum it up, you know, Maxi Kluber, Anthony Tolliver, Zach Collins. This might be, honestly, I might make this a running three-point of mine, just showing love to underappreciated role players. Um, but <laughs> like this Kemba week... Ballin? Yeah. Shout out to Wait, her. I got to check Randall watch. You just reminded me. Um, oh, there you are. <laughs> but while I, Randall, uh, while I ramble to finish this uh, segment, I think I might do a, a show love to underappreciated role players every week. Um, by the way, Randall on three-pointers, it, it's not updated for tonight, though. Um, he is, oh no, 4 of 14. He's down to 28.6%. Actually, I think he hasn't hit one since he was 4 of 7. So I think he's missed 7 in a row so far. Yeah. Um, not what you want to see, but again, it, the fact that he's taking them, I guess, is, is a positive. Let's see if he hit any tonight. Um, he was 0 for 2, so he'll be 4 of 16 now. But okay, that's the end of my three-point. I don't want to take any more time with your rambling. <laughs> Uh, it's all good. I don't know. I'm going to do the same. You did the rental watch. I did the Kemba ball in <laughs> 18, 5, and 4. You know, it wasn't much to write home about, but they play Cleveland, so not much at all. Anyway, um, you're talking about underappreciated bigs um, or backup bigs. I'm going to talk about underappreciated big in general. Um, and and you may be surprised to hear it. And actually, you knowing me, you may not be. But here's the title. JaVel McGee, all-star, my column. <laughs> <laughs> obviously kidding but in an uneven la season aside from lebron mcgee has been the one productive consistent presence he's averaging career high 15.5 points on 63.2 percent from the field and his rim running athleticism especially as a, uh, his rim running and athleticism especially as a vertical spacer has really been so good for la and mind you i mean we already know him obviously from Shaq and Fool, and there's been a lot of talk already about how well he's been playing, and you know, it's just because the backup bigs are so bad that McGee looks good, or you know, it's because of his um extended minutes and his, he's really not that productive. But I'm I'm here to say that he is. I mean, he's been the only positive in this just much maligned depth at, at center. Avicii Subac has just barely been there. Kyle Kuzma defensively has been uh, especially a five. Jonathan Williams has been really nice, great story, but I mean. 
he's mostly undersized, and other than bringing energy consistently, that's really the only thing he has. And aside from maybe a few precious minutes, LeBron at center has just been a debacle. He's clearly shown no interest in playing that position, and I mean his effort is shown. It's just not a, it's not a good look at all. But on the defensive end, I mean McGee has a career high right now, three point three blocks per game. This leads the league, despite even even his limited minutes. He's been, you know, playing some more minutes in one game, less in another. But he's still leading the league inside of that. I think he's had four games so far this season where he's had four more blocks, and it's shown not only in film, but you could see it in the numbers. I mean, the Lakers outscore opponents by seven points per hundred possessions when McGee's in the game with a defensive rating of one hundred one point two. Of all teams, that would rank only behind the Celtics and the Bucks, and you see the record that they have. Um, when McGee sits, though. The Lakers have just a horrible net rating. They give up an astonishing 118.4 points per 100 possessions. I don't need to tell you that that's the worst in the league. <laughs> <laughs> They've been about 15 points basically better with McGee on the court versus off it. And, I mean, they're still he still has moments and laps oftentimes in, in times where you wish he wouldn't of, of lack of awareness on the defensive end um you see his frame the very same thing that helps him get up and down the court and and finish above the rim also is horrible against bigger centers um lamarcus aldridge just eats him alive um yusef nurkic does some damage same thing with Nikola Jokic. you know the way that the lakers defensive scheme right now he drops back into pick and roll so that enables players to really get up and and, and get floaters and mid-range jumpers in but all in all, I just want to show some love to Phil McGee because he's been playing very well for this team. And with so much going on there, it's nice to see a player who, you know, was a joke. And then he went to Golden State and he was getting good minutes there. Or, or not good minutes, but yeah, he was getting some minutes there on a team that got him two rings. But I think this this season has really shown his worth as a player and just how, you know, a, a decent starting center, a, a very good starting center right now for a Lakers team that needs all the production he can get from there. Yeah, I mean, he's another role player that has a great net rating, uh, plus 19.3, which is incredible. I mean, when he's on the floor, according to Cleaning the Glass, the defense is 20.6 points for 100 possessions better with him on the floor. Um, The offense takes a slight dip, but again, when you're getting that kind of production on the defensive end and that kind of impact defensively from him, you'll definitely take this slight offensive dip. Um, But yeah, he's been exactly, he's been better than what people expected, obviously. I think maybe even better than they've expected um, when they signed him, but... Yeah, something to keep an eye on. Obviously, they add Tyson Chandler, so we'll see if they do more traditional lineups with, with um, you know, McGee getting backed up by a traditional big like Chandler and see how much small ball they play now. But they need they need another body. Um, but so far, McGee has been if as better as good, if not better than advertised and expected. Um, and with that, I will move on to my third and final point. So the Kings? That, that's the title I have for this point. I mean, it's just—it's really—it's really astonishing. I mean, as I mentioned before, they're basically league average on both ends. They're 16th offensively and 15th uh, defensively, um, but they're playing at the second fastest pace, which I think is really good for their young guys and especially De'Aaron Fox, who is just—I mean—he grabs the rebound and you know you blink and he's already you know at a, at a layup at the other end on the, on the other end of the floor. Um, and really, you look at De'Aaron Fox and he's obviously. I mean, there are several storylines with this team, but it starts with De'Aaron Fox because he's really taken a big step so far. Obviously, again, small sample, but still, 19 points, 7.8 assists, 4.6 rebounds per game. And I hope you're sitting down because he yep. has a plus 39.6 net rating so far. Yeah. I mean, that's plus just un- unheard of. Plus 39.6 net rating. Um and it's not only him. I mean, pretty much everyone on this roster has improved in some significant way. Like Willie Cauley-Stein is another one, um, like you mentioned. 
uh, before. Um, Nemanja Bjelica has been awesome for that. I mean, just awesome for them. The, the, like, the fact that him turning down the Sixers offer to, re- to sign with the Kings is actually like a big deal based on what he's been providing them and, and what the Sixers could have used from, from Bielitsa so far this season. 15.6 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists per game, which is pretty good. A staggering 53.3% on 3-pointers, and he's not taking like 1 or 2 per game. He's attempting over 4 per game. Um, and then you look at this again. I hope you're still sitting down because he is a, a plus... Yeah. Plus 30.4 net rating for Bielita. The offense um, specifically improves by 18 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny because, you know, gee, I wonder why their offense is better this season now that they're actually playing a floor spacing power forward instead of two traditional centers in the front court. Um, Get out. You don't like Zebo? <laughs> not even Zebo. <laughs> what about the times they play Labissiere and Kali Stein? Oh, uh, gosh. Costa Kufus. I mean, I mean co- I, just the days of, of when they would trade, they would play two traditional centers in the front court together. Those days are over. Bielitsa in the starting lineup has been so good for them. Um, and yet, as a team, you know, overall, they're still not taking many three pointers. They're twenty seventh in three pointers attempted, but they're still, but they're ninth in percentage at thirty nine point two percent. But the interesting thing, and the reason why I don't think it's exactly like the Magic last year, is that that those numbers are almost identical to last year. Um, last season, they finished twenty eighth in attempts, and while they were third in percentage, they only they shot thirty eight point two percent as a team. This year, they're shooting thirty nine point two percent as a team. So it's not like the Magic. Last year, the reason the Magic won, I think they were 8-4, and four. the reason they won all those games was because they were shooting an absurd percentage that was way off from what they've done in previous seasons. The Kings are actually shooting basically same number of attempts and 1% higher as a team. It's not like this crazy outlier. So, again, like I said earlier in the in the show, I think they're going to fall back a little bit, but it's not like the Magic where there's absurd things that's going to fall back to earth. Their shooting is actually kind of the same as it's been in recent seasons. So, you know... I think we'll get to see how how real they are moving forward because this is their upcoming stretch of games. They've got at the Bucks tomorrow or today when you're listening to this, uh, home against the Raptors, the Timberwolves, the Lakers, and the Spurs. So a four-game homestand, but all against potential playoff teams. Then at Memphis and at Houston. So I mean, you're looking at all all seven of those games are against teams that should win at least 40 games. Some of them are going to, you know, be in the upper echelon of the NBA. So we'll see how real it is moving forward. Again, they're six and three, De'Aaron Fox, Bielitsa, Kali Stein are really leading the way in terms of the storylines and their fast pace is catching a lot of teams off guard, but it's shocking. But again, I, I don't think it's, you know, completely absurd. I think they're going to fall back and be a solid lottery team, but not like the magic last year. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good one. I was speaking, you said the Magic. I'm going to bring them up just now because my third and final point is kind of a bailout. It's really short. Um, speaking of the Magic, the Clippers steamrolled them yesterday, 120 to 95. And I'm just here to let you know that uh, Boban, Marjanovic <laughs> started an NBA game. It happened. It happened. Martian Gortat was injured. So Doc Rivers had to give the people what they wanted. Um, I know that you've been a much bigger fan of the Bobby and Toby show. Absolutely. Than I have. I've tuned in, you know, once in a while, but you, you're a frequent viewer, you know. So he started, the last time he started, he had 15 points, nine rebounds, and three assists in only 21 minutes. And this is when he played with the Pistons. Um, last night, he finished with 10 points and 11 rebounds and 23 minutes of action. That's, that's, that's very productive, very insane. When he touches the ball, I mean, you know what he does. That, that he's, he's basically just a dominant center and we'll never know because he doesn't get those starting minutes. But I tell you right now, he could be the best center in the NBA history if you were to roll him out. <laughs> okay, I tried. Um, 
when he sits, the Clippers have a net rating of 4.3. When he plays, that number doubles to 9.6, more than doubles to that. And and that's all I wanted to show. I just wanted to give a shout to to, Bo, to Boban. I mean, I get the obvious reason why he doesn't start, but, I mean, the dude is, is mad, crazy effective, much more than a punchline. Yeah, I mean, he is, when he comes into the game, against most matchups, he is going to be unstoppable for like a 5 to 10 minute stretch. So, again, sure, you know... It, even if I'm starting, you know, you can get that, you can get off to a good start with him, you know, having that five minute stretch where he's kind of unstoppable and then you take him out and, you know, he can start and only, and still play like 20 minutes per game. Just because you're a starter doesn't mean you have to play like 30 minutes a game. And obviously you can't really, um, but there are those stretches, you know, that happen, you know, when he does play on a night, on a, in a game, there's like one to two stretches, probably one in the first half, one in the second half, where it's like a stretch of like six or seven minutes where he comes in and grabs all the boards or gets fouled a lot and he's a great free throw shooter, um, or he just looks unstoppable and dunks when he's you know on the when his feet are touching the floor uh, i mean it's just it's such an experience shakes the rim he got that extra swag coming now this yeah I, twice now he's dunked it and like shook it like mm. yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's crazy good to see yeah i'm all for him you know playing more and gortat's really struggled so it's, it, it makes sense to just try something else as well and they've obviously got mantras hales there who again a completely Great different energy. player a lot of energy um more you know more mobility but again a completely different center if they did i mean playing him versus bob on a center is just two completely different experiences but two two, two better options than i think at this point than than marcin gortat yeah i mean marcin is showing his age 35 yeah i mean he's kind of he's 35 and fading one of those players but you know it happens to everyone he was the polish champ for a long time shout out to what he did in orlando and, and phoenix with steve nash that that pick and roll synergy was nice and John Wall, he's played well, but it's over. Anyway. That's true. Um, all right, we will move on to uh, our fourth segment, Something Foul. Now it's time for Something Foul. As I mentioned before, we would talk about the Wizards, and I'm getting to them right now. I think you can pretty pretty much tell there are my Something Foul. Um, <laughs> after their blowout loss at home to the Thunder, who were on the second night of a road back-to-back, the Wizards fell to 1-7. and seven. Um, And, you know, at this point... Something just doesn't feel right, and this, the, the shtick is, is getting tired of this team having too much talent to underachieve. And obviously, in, in, recent, in recent years, they were a playoff team that was over 500. This is, this is really underachieving um, so far. Um, and, and really, it's funny because I was preparing these notes before that Friday blowout, and I had, I had a bullet that said, let's give them a couple of games with Dwight. And then I changed it after that game and said, do we even give them a few games with Dwight, question mark? Because, I mean, he comes in and he actually played well, and they still got blown out. It's like he's going to put up those numbers, but it's not going to really impact anything. Um, as you said earlier, you kind of took a lot of my points um, because this really has blow it up potential all over it. But again, like I said before, how do you do that? Because people are not going to want to trade for that wall contract. You probably... I mean, you can trade Beal, but really, you probably want to keep her on him due to, due to his age and his production. Um, and then with Otto, it's interesting because he might bring you back limited returns because he's a very expensive player. Obviously, he's a, he's a good player, but he's very expensive, so it depends what kind of returns you can get for him. You know, firing Scott Brooks and or their GM, Ernie Grunfeld, may be the short-term solution um, because the roster, as I mentioned earlier, is really, really limited financially moving forward. You know, Brooks still has two more years left on his deal that at $7 million per year. So if they fired him right now, they basically would owe him $20, $21 million. Um, it might have to be Grunfeld that takes the fall for this. Um, but they're my something foul, and they will continue to be my something foul um, if they, you know, keep losing. I mean, look up the, I'm going to pull up their schedule just to see where their upcoming games are. Then they got... That they play the Knicks at home tomorrow, and I swear if they lose that game, 
I, I, it might be the end for Brooks oh, or, or, or Grenfell. I mean, you can't lose. One of them has to go. You can't lose to the Knicks at home. Then they play. This culture's rotten. Yeah. Okay, so look at this upcoming stretch of games. And I, I, I tell you, they're 1-7. And here are their next six, six games. <laughs> Knicks at home. On the road against Dallas, who's 2-7. and seven. On the road against the Magic. Then at the Heat, who beat them early in the season. They should want some kind of revenge. Then the Magic at home. And then the Cavs at home. They are playing four of the worst teams in the league in their next six games. Um, and they've got three of them at home. So, listen. If, if they win all of them, is yeah. Scott Brooks eligible for Coach of the Year? I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they really, in this upcoming stretch of games, Knicks, Mavericks, Magic, Heat, Magic, Cavs, they should go 5-1. and one. I, Really, they should go 5-1. and one. They have too much talent. Even four and two. If they don't go four and two in this stretch, that's really, I think, unacceptable. Not that's like, a roll. I mean, everything else has been ex- unacceptable for them already. But there, my something fell. That's it. I mean, I feel like I, as the more I talk about it, the more negative I get. <laughs> I'm about to be the exact same way with another dysfunctional team this time in the West, and I'm sure you know where we're going. It's one player, a certain Jimmy B Butler or Jimmy <laughs> G Butler, because Jimmy gets buckets, but he didn't get them last night. Um, the Timberwolves played. The Warriors pretty tough down the stretch, but went down, I think, 116-99. Jimmy Butler ended up with 21 points, 3 rebounds, and 5 assists on 10 for 23 shooting, 0 for 8 from 3. And that's not even the point, because the 0 for 8 is ugly. I mean, you taking that many threes and not making any, that's kind of ridiculous. But I didn't like at the end when he's on the bench and the war. I'm sure it's been, you've seen on Twitter, it's been kind of going around there. But the Warriors fans are kind of waving their flag around or their, their, their bandana or whatever. And Jimmy Butler's there waving his towel right along with them. I, I, I get that you guys are down. I get that Jimmy Butler is having a, a crazy year. I get that this team is going whack. I get all of that. But then he comes out, I think this morning, I was talking to Chris Haynes or something. He was basically saying, hey, I'm not a distraction. My teammates know where I stand, this and that. I, I think it's equally true that you your teammates can know where you stand and you could still be very much a distraction. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Jimmy Butler, I mean, I always thought this, and I get why Tibbs – is not one to move him because the talent is there and this and that and yada, yada, yada. But it's time for him to face the facts that Jimmy Butler is going to be leaving regardless. Whether you keep him now and you don't make it to the playoffs. You keep him now and you make it to the playoffs and you lose in the first round a la last year. And then he leaves. Then he leaves with nothing. I mean, waiting right now, is the leverage is, is fading, I would argue, because he's starting to show the worst attributes of himself as not a person, but just a potential locker room cancer. I mean, it's, it's starting to fade away from the, oh, he's so gritty and tough and just wants to win. And now, no, he's being a straight nuisance and, and an irritation. And the team is collapsing around him. And, I mean, aside from the feel-good, you know, 50-point game that was there last week and all that, the Timberwolves are still a team on the slump. They're on the down. And I know we mentioned this a little bit earlier, maybe making a trade with Washington for Bradley Beal. Yes, I was you know, half hypothetical there, but that's something that the Timbers should think about. Something that the tips should really think about as far as moving Jimmy Butler and riding the ship before it goes too far gone, because right now it's there. And Jimmy Butler, that action right there, I get that it was probably in jest or whatever, what have you. And I looked at the teammates and half of them didn't seem to be paying attention. And the one next to him, I think it was CJ Williams seemed to be laughing along, but it, it, this is too much, man. It's too much time for a change. That's something foul. Yeah, I mean, the the more they wait, the, the like you said, the leverage they lose leverage because a team trading for him would have less games with Butler, therefore they wouldn't give up as much. 
Um, if you trade for him now, you get like 65 plus games with him. Um, and if you trade him at, for him at the deadline, you get 25 games with him. Why would you, you're going to give up half of what you would in, in your normal offer for Butler at that point. So the, the quicker they trade him, the sooner they trade him, the more they get in return. And honestly, the way Josh Richardson's playing, that deal of, that proposed or rumored deal from a couple weeks ago of, of Josh Richardson, a first round pick and salary filler, I mean, if I'm the Wolves, I think I take that at this point. I think I would have already taken that Rockets deal for the, for the four first-round picks and Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris. Who cares about the players? You get four first-round picks for a guy who's going to leave anyways, and you get to finally solve that issue or the situation. So, again, they should have already moved. The longer they wait, the worse return they're going to get and the more toxic it could get over time, especially if they keep losing games. So I'm totally with you on the something foul. Um and let's move on to our final, fifth and final segment, the and one. Now let's look forward with the and one. Um, and we will, I'm going to go with more of a traditional route um, and just point out a couple of games that I'm going to be keeping my eye on over the next week or so. Um, so I'll start on Monday and we've two, we got two interesting games on Monday. We got the Pelicans at the Thunder, two teams that are, you know, OKC four and four, Pelicans four and five, lost a couple games because of, uh, actually they've lost five straight, but a bunch of them because of injury. Um, I want to see how, how those two teams are. I mean, the, the Thunder are hot. They've won four straight. The Pelicans are sliding. They lost five straight. But, again, with AD, um, those teams always seem to have close, interesting games. Um, and then the second night of that, uh, second game of that night is Boston at Denver. I mean, that's, that's going to be a, that's going to be a slobber knocker. The Nuggets are 8-1, 5-0 at home. Um, the Celtics are, you know, 6-3, and three, coming off a loss to the Pacers. That'll always be interesting to watch. Tuesday, we got a really interesting game, Milwaukee at Portland. And this is part of the part of the Bucks going on a West Coast road trip and one of the first games is at Portland, a team that's hot, six and two. Um and then Thursday, um, November eighth, we've got the Rockets at the Thunder. Um always seem to have close games. We want to see how good the Rockets are and that they're finally healthy. And then we've got one of the most intriguing games of the year so far, probably the Bucks at the Warriors. Uh, you talk about a TNT doubleheader, I think that's a TNT I think it's both games are on TNT. Um of those two games, I mean that is really one of the best TNT doubleheaders probably of the year. Um, so those are just, those are just a couple of games that I'm going to be watching over the next season. I couldn't figure out a team or something. I mean, I was going to say, you know, keep your eye on the wizards, but I've already done so much negativity in this episode. I didn't want to dive into their, you know, upcoming schedule. And we already talked about the undefeated teams last week. And of course we talked about the Pistons and then I I wanted to see how their schedule got hard. And of course they've lost, uh, what, four or five straight, I think. So, um, (laughs) so, you know, they kind of fallen back to four straight. Sorry. They're four and four. So. That's my end one. Just a couple of games to keep your eye on over the next week or so. I actually have a, a couple of games tomorrow. Um, and literally just two. I already alluded to one. Both teams are playing right now. Lakers up 17. I might add 80-71 over the Trailblazers. Yes. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, the Trailblazers play the Timberwolves tomorrow. Um, for both these games, like I said, second half of the back-to-back, it'll be interesting to see how the Trailblazers respond, either to the outcome of this game, as well as playing, you know, a, a decent Timberwolves team, and the Lakers and the Raptors. And whether or not Kawhi plays, I still think it'll be an interesting game to see. So both those games are ones I'm looking forward to, you know, three Western Conference teams and one really good Eastern Conference team going up to match and seeing how they respond, both trying to move up in the Timberwolves and Lakers as far as, you know, kind of right in the ship, even in the midst of so much... Uh, dysfunction and potential dysfunction that is true um so you heard it here first a good amount of games to keep your eye on over the next couple of days or so um corbin a valiant performance a valiant flu game performance thank you you were you were you were like if i have to be jordan you were my scotty (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) of course that's what i'm here for um 
So yeah, that'll wrap up this week's episode of the 94 NBA podcast. Make sure to follow both of us on Twitter. You can follow me at Eric Spiros NBA and follow the site on Twitter at the 94 underscore, of course, uh, obviously to follow our content, but of course, just to um, be on the lookout for when we ask for your mailbag questions, usually around Wednesday and Thursday of, of next week since we record usually on Friday night. So be on the lookout for that. Um, ask us some great mailbag questions. Check out all of our content at the94feet.com. Um, and Corbin, of course, you can follow, tell everyone where they can follow and interact with you. Oh, at Corbin Ford MBA. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it's at Cor- yeah, Corbin Ford MBA. I said it right the first time. I don't remember. It's hard sometimes. Um, also at the 94 underscore. Um, a lot of content there. Not if you see the, sh- the the funny jokes or some weird ramblings. More often than not, it's usually me. Um, <laughs> but just follow us in general. We have great content. So many different things dropping toward the end of the week. We have multiple podcasts dropping on the same day um, for your morning commute and just in general. This weekend, you have um, Simon Sharon Gordon's Restricted Area podcast also dropping around the same time. We'll be dropping ours. So there's content literally seven days a week. I don't want to say 24-7, but you get what I'm trying to say. So check us out. Yeah, definitely. Follow us um, on Instagram and, and like us on Facebook as well because we do post there and you'll get all of our content there as well. Um, but obviously have a great week of, of watching NBA basketball and we'll be back next week with another episode. Take care. All right, y'all.